content warning for death, violence, fire injuries, and Huntington's disease. Hello and welcome back to the Billy Shears Club. On our last episode, part we talked about Speak for Yourself by Imogen Heap, and now we're going to talk about Dust Bowl Ballads by Woody Guthrie. So this is going to be a lot as Woody is a pretty big figure within American music. Uh, Born in 1918 in Oklahoma, his father was a real estate agent and a Democratic politician. Uh, his town had an oil boom, but then an oil bust, and so he became very attuned to the economic plights and suffering of others. And also, his sister burned to death. Uh, some biographers state that it was likely due to negligence from his mother because of this sort of increasing, but not yet diagnosed, Huntington's disease that she was suffering from which caused more erratic actions and could potentially lead to that sort of situation. Uh, growing up, he loved to play his guitar, play harmonica and sing and write songs, uh, traveled around the country, you know, sort of hobo style, but eventually settled down in Pampa, Texas, got married and had three children and started to farm. But then the Dust Bowl happened, and so farming wasn't really going to pay the bills anymore, so he decided to travel out to L.A. to seek his fortune. He started doing some radio shows with Lefty Lou and his cousin Jack Guthrie, and between that and writing songbooks, he managed to get enough money to bring his family out to California, too. And so throughout most of the 30s and early 40s, he was really popular in America uh, for a songwriting style that really dealt with the plight of the common man and stuff like, you know, injustice and economic exploitation and anti-fascism and et cetera, et cetera. Like a lot of themes that would really strike home during the Depression era of America. He managed to meet a lot of pretty famous people, like uh, folk singer Lead Belly. They did a show together. Uh, Pete Seeger invited him into a folk singer supergroup called the Almanac Singers that was popular in the early days of World War II until it turned out that they were a bunch of commies and there was the whole you know, censorship thing going on. And uh, also, most importantly, probably uh, folk music archivist, uh, what's his name? Alan Lomax, who gave him uh, some chances to record, and also got him on nationally syndicated uh, radio. However, with all this traveling and fame, he managed to do a lot of writing. Uh, one cool thing was that he did a, uh, what was it called? He wrote some songs for a canceled documentary about uh, the Grand Coulee Dam, which is cool. But also, unfortunately, during some of the trips to New York, he and his wife sort of drifted away, and he started to get a thing for a young dancer there named Marjorie. And he managed to get a divorce from his wife, which is not that common in the 1940s. But then Uncle Sam said, hey, buddy, there's a war on. You're getting drafted. He joins the Merchant Marines, and then on the day that Germany surrenders, he gets kicked out for, again, communism and has to join the army to go ship off to Japan. Uh, while he's out training and such, he listens to the radio and he hears one of his songs credited to Jack Guthrie, which led to some settlements and awkward family Thanksgiving dinners, I would presume. Uh, <laughs> he manages to get married to Marjorie and with that get discharged from the arm, the war. Uh, they have four kids, one of whom also burns to death, and one of whom grows up to be sing singer-songwriter Arlo Guthrie. And in the late 40s, he stays really productive, uh, doing a lot of recordings for a fellow named Mo Ash. And also he and his mother-in-law like start working on like this sort of collaborative creative relationship. And because she's Jewish, he ends up like writing a lot more about, like, Jewish issues at the time, which is really cool for a guy from Oklahoma who was, you know, extremely not Jewish. 
But unfortunately, it turned out that he was having increasing symptoms of Huntington's disease, the same genetic disorder that afflicted his mother. And towards the end of his life, it got a little dicey. Uh, he uh, divorced Marjorie and then ran off, uh, played home record to a woman 20 years as a junior. But they had a kid and sort of lived as hobos until he burned himself in a campfire incident. Which also fun fact that I neglected. His father also burned himself in a with a kerosene lamp, apparently. So there's like four fire related tragedies in this family. What gives Guthrie's? But uh, eventually he ends up being hospitalized for the remainder of his life and sort of being taken care of by his ex wife, Marjorie. Uh, however, despite sort of the sad end, he has a huge musical legacy, like. A lot of his songs end up getting covered by various artists probably since the 50s to the present day. Most notably, uh, This Land is My Land, which was originally a response to the perceived jingoism of God Bless America by Irving Berlin. And it was also more about like private property shouldn't be a thing. And then also, uh, it was an inspiration to a lot of the folk singers of the 60s, like Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, and Phil Ox. Ox actually performed for him on the hospital bed. But yeah, this is Dust Bowl Ballads. It's often cited as one of the first concept albums, basically just him singing some songs about, you know, life as a displaced Oklahoma citizen, aka an Okie, in the 1930s. What do you think, Joe, overall? I mean, personally, I really loved it. I I found it to be very very meaningful uh, in some ways relatable yeah, just like the struggles and um, the struggles and challenges of trying to make it through um, a difficult a difficult economic time especially when it feels like the the world's not really doing you many favors and you just kind of gotta make it through on your own and just like the resilience of it all and just like Keeping on going despite everything was was really uh, was really cool, and I felt to be very inspired. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's got a very big heart behind it. This whole album, the huge thing. Uh, did you have any favorite songs? No. Well, I'd say a lot of the songs I was a huge fan of. Um, I'd say Do Re Mi was a particularly <laughs> strong one for me it's just like yeah it doesn't matter uh, unless you got the dough or me especially talking about like i really like that one along with all the other ones that talked about like it's very interesting to me talk about california like a sort of promised land um and how like you know trying to get there to have a better life and to get away from the the dust bowl states but how also yeah. like even if you did make it there it it wasn't um it wasn't always like the uh, all it's cracked up to be, and it wasn't. Um, it was hard enough. Uh, it was hard enough to make it there, even after, like, to make it once you were there, even if you physically got there. And that, like, without, like, sure, it's a paradise, but only if you had the money. People are only going to care about you, about what you got, if you've got cash and and money to make yourself like important enough in their eyes. And I thought that was really interesting and really resonating theme that um that can definitely still extends to our own 
to our own time and uh, and society. Like, it's really interesting to hear that background of just, like, him. I mean, like, I don't know if he was explicitly, like, a communist or a socialist or anarchist or whatever, but it's clear that he definitely, like, a lot of his stuff had those sort of sympathies, had that sort of, like... <laughs> Could definitely be seen as such because of the because of the issues it addressed and uh, perspective and it's very interesting to to um to have that um so strong in that period and i've heard a lot about it but to have such a like a big cultural marker that's like a real um indicator of that a real like really demonstrates that is really cool yeah definitely. yeah i will say as far as like whether or not a socialist uh I think there are some quotes floating around where he does confirm and like he wrote a column for a communist newsletter, but also according to some biographies, he actually got kicked out of the communist party for slightly nebulous reasons. So he's, he's pretty, he's, he's a, he's a, he is a comrade, but yeah, for me, it's, it is definitely very, in a sick way, very funny to hear. Even 82 years ago, California was overpriced and you couldn't <laughs> get ahead in there. But uh, also, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that, yeah, that double side to the idea of, you know, endless opportunity if you, if you have the cash for it. And it's just, you know, sort of his general observations, like especially the one line where, what is it, like the, like as they're trying, people are trying to enter the stage. The guards like, "You're number fourteen million for today." It's just it's kind of humorous. It's it's got a good tongue in its cheek, even though it's like dealing with some serious stuff. And that's what kind of gives it life sometimes on the album. Oh yeah, they're definitely like using humor to to deal with um, the reality of the situation and the difficulties of it. It's it's a very it's a very human thing, and also feels like a very I don't know this. This album feels very American in that sort of way, in in all the ways and um, that uh, in in many of the ways that we like to imagine um, American culture is like that sort of like um, sort of rough and tough, like pretty like working class person doing their doing their best to make it by sort of thing. Like this this really feels like that and feels authentic. It's not like something trying to evoke that like. We have many, many times in our, um, in our modern media and culture, and I don't know how common of a thing that was back then, but it really feel uh, it really feels both in content and in form and in everything that it's like, no, this is a genuine, a genuine uh, working class American who's gone through these experiences and is talking about it, singing about. It. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very, yeah, very raw and, you know, out of the earth type thing, which is really nice. Yeah, let's see, other ones that were really good. Uh, I also really like Dust Bowl Refugee. Um, mm. And in some ways, like, the sort of denial that comes with it of just like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a refugee. Like, I'm just someone who's trying to make it by. But also, I am here because I am. Uh, <laughs> like, it's yeah. interesting that aspect of just like the I mean it's understandable but the not wanting to admit to one's own struggles and difficulties and 
Definitely, and just the sheer exhaustion of, like, part of it is, like, you know, being displaced and not having your home and, like, just trying to find any place, which is been a huge concern over the years. Like, you know, a lot of migrant workers and also, like, Pacino, it's it still happens a lot. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. And the travel yeah, happens in your home. Yeah, migrant workers, you, yeah, I mean, like, People were struggling with the winter in Texas last year. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's very, it's very much something that's, it's, it's very, it's very thematic. It's very relatable because a lot of the, a lot of the problems sort of continue and repeat themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, not to, not to wax too much about, but I feel like. There's a lot of things in our own time and that the longer it goes, the more we can relate to these sorts of experiences and struggles. Yeah. Yeah. One that definitely relates, uh, it's, you know, since for a very long time, it's, there's been sort of a almost mimetic cultural obsession with the, you know, in times like, you know, you had, Y2K millennium ideas and then 2012 and now for the last two years there have been lots of end time jokes and so listening to the album and hearing like Great Dust Storm and Dusty Old Dust where both of them are extremely apocalyptic and their imagery is just like this dust storm is literally an Armageddon like because like just all the dirt has just gone up into the air and you can't see anything and like Coughing up dirt, and everyone's just sort of bunkered in. It's like very harrowing to hear. Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's honestly really horrifying when you like think about like, oh, this isn't just like metaphorical or poetic. Like this is stuff that actually happened. This is what it was actually like at the Dust Bowl. Like, like you hear about it, but you do, uh, but it's stuff that's easy to not like really think so so hard and clearly about just what what was actually happening is like horrific and apocalyptic in a lot of ways yeah, i absolutely yeah. agree with that it's, a, it's an interesting aspect of it yeah that is one of the advantages of him being being such like a honest and detailed songwriter is that it almost acts as a sort of journal like you know yeah it's another almost like a historical um, album in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. One thing that started streaming was the Tom Jode part. The where he's just doing the Grapes of Wrath. What did you think on that part? Yeah, the Tom Jode part, uh, part one and two were probably my least favorite of <laughs> the album. Honestly, there's just like <sighs> unless I was missing something, I did not fully understand what point it was trying to make and like where it was going with it or just like like a lot of murder a lot of just like and like the whole like the preacher and tom joe going around killing people and stuff like i'll i'll be honest it didn't get me as much and i was a bit i was both confused by the purpose as well as just like 
Okay, what's um how does this connect to the rest of the themes of the Dust Bowl and stuff like that? I don't know. Like they both confused me and was like some of the less to me personally interesting parts of the album. What did you think? Yeah, uh I'll say I have not read the book, but a- Apparently, it's just him doing a plot summary of the book, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, which deals with very similar themes to a lot of stuff that's in Woody Guthrie's. But, you know, it's it's a it's a piece of fiction. Fictional characters into this very real album just felt off. Like, but, you know, a lot of... There are probably a lot of songs that are very inspired by fiction, like... A, David Bowie's Diamond Dogs, not Diamond, yeah, Diamond Dogs, that was it, is a scrapped 1984 musical, but, you know, you don't sit there and say, oh, David Bowie's selling out, you know, he's just talking about nonsense, because David Bowie's, you know, a theatrical singer, and Wade Guthrie's not a theatrical singer, like, if you, and so, like, it being such a popular song, it just, I mean, such a popular book, it wasn't like, you know, making some obscure artsy reference it was him just singing the plot of a book he's like eh. yeah I mean I guess it does make sense in that like it does because Grace of Wrath is such a it was such a big part of American culture especially during that time and like it very much is about the Dust Bowl and that experience and stuff that it would make sense that he would kind of it would go thematically with singing about aunt, but yeah, I'll be, maybe maybe it just doesn't do it for me as much because I don't share the same cultural context. So maybe if I was around for that time, read the book, saw the movie, it would be a lot more meaningful to me. But personally, yeah, I it did not it did not hit me in the meaningfulness way. Like it's just sort of. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, all right, this is happening. And I mean, even with, like, it seems less like a creative interpretation, more like that Lost Boy song by Ruth B., if you remember, the one where she's just sort of saying a bunch of Peter Pan character names over and over again over a piano. Yeah. It's more like that than an a actual <laughs> song. Right, right. It's, it, I, yeah, I guess in some ways it's almost like sort of carrying along an epic poem sort of thing or like a carrying along a story. But yeah, it is kind of just reciting as opposed to like, hey, here's the story and kind of what I think about it. I'll do like a little twist on it. It's just like, yep, nope. <laughs> like, like he's just reading the screenplay or something aloud. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's it. That's what happened. It's like, all right. That's a choice, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, what other songs you like on here? Hmm. Gotta say, like, in general, I'm a big I'm a big fan of all of them. Dust Pneumonia Blues is sad. <laughs> yeah. That one that one makes me sad, I'll be honest. <laughs> like not in a bad way either. It's just like, ah, oh, bummer. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Sound awful, buddy. Yeah. Dust pneumonia does not sound like a good time. Yeah. It's like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it's like free range uh, coal miners long. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like. uh, It's just like. It's, but it really does, yeah, it really does make you think of just like, man, it wasn't just a bunch of dust that ruins people's crops. Like, it literally just covered so much of the landscape and just made yeah. it desolated. Just, just, I don't know, it's hard to fully wrap my head around it sometimes. Yeah. I'm trying to look up how many people... See, I'm trying to see if there's like a count on how many people because it's definitely killed people. Like it did actually kill people. Uh, yeah, apparently like seven thousand people died of dust pneumonia. Oh, it was mostly that's... kids. Oh, yeah. that's. Are you both? And... I don't know. That almost sounds small to me. But then again, I don't know how many people are living in Oklahoma at that time. Yeah. That's yeah. both very large and very, I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, that's, that's really awful. Yeah. And it's like, I, and, it, and as sad as that stuff is, I'm glad like even 70 years later, like, no, more like 90 years later, oh, that, um, that a song like this can really bring attention to it and like yeah. teach us of what the what was going on what that was like yeah I, I will say there is a slight bit of humor in that earlier on in the album there's that dust can't kill me song where it's like dust can, can kill everyone else but dust it can't kill can't. me and then later on <laughs> dies of dust I have, <laughs> I have dust pneumonia and I'm dying <laughs> Messing around and finding out um, uh, in the same album. Yeah, there's a a lot of really good tongue in cheek humor going on in this whole album. Yeah, and a lot of titles that have dust in them, like, let's see, Talking Dust Bowl Blues, Dust Can't Kill Me. Great dust storm, dusty old dust, dust full refugee, dust pneumonia blues. Half of these songs are dust. <laughs> I wonder what the theme is. Water. <laughs> this is actually about water world. Speaking, speaking of a uh, dust can't kill me, that I didn't really like that one. Like the first of all, the harmonica was really nice on there. Whenever he busts out the harmonica, it's not every song, but he's pretty good on the harmonica. He's handy. Like, oh, yeah. also just like a sort of a statement of resilience. Like, no, I won't be brought down by the Dust Bowl. It's like, yeah, go, Woody. Stop, stop marrying women. <laughs> stop being a homewrecker. <laughs> fight that dust. Don't yeah. fight your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Remember who the true enemy is. Uh, yeah, like I, I do really like the resilience that is present in throughout this album and a lot of the songs. It's like 
it's really impressive. And it's, and, and again, it's really cool that it's like, it's clearly from his own life because he, he mm-hmm. had to go through this stuff. He experienced this and survived. And so like, it's not just someone blowing smoke about how tough they are. It's yeah. a survivor who's yeah. singing about how, no, I'm not going to let this take me down. Like it may be three years into COVID, but I'm not going to catch it. COVID ain't going to get me. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's, but it's very much that kind of mentality. And I, I don't know. It's pretty inspiring, honestly. Just like how, how awful and difficult things can be, but still going. Yeah, definitely. And you can really tell, like, how much of it is like from its own experience because of like, you know, like, having been the hobo lifestyle, like at least three of the songs here are just about how exhausting interstate travel was in the 1930s. Like, a, like the uh, Talking Dust Bowl Blues on down this road and Dust Bowl Refugee are all just about traveling without an interstate is really hard, especially with like 1930s car techno- automotive technology. Yeah, yeah. It's hard about the one vehicle that's just breaking down constantly, falling apart. Yeah, yeah. But like... Right. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, especially with how big the country is. And I imagine especially trying to go west, like, there's not a lot of good, there were not a lot of good roads at that time. That yeah. interstate. state. Yeah. Because, yeah. like he says, like, in Jan trouble. Yeah. In, <laughs> best way to pronounce engine I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, Dustbowl Blues was a really nice one just because it's like it does give that great sense of humor, especially the part where it's like wives and children bouncing down the mountain. It's like, are they dead or is this just a very funny metaphor? I like the <laughs> image of children bouncing down a mountain. Like, <laughs> They're just rolling down that hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also how he ends it with oh, No, 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 go ahead. I was gonna say I also like how he ends it with like, in like, through so thin you could read a magazine through it. If it just been a little thinner, so these politicians might have seen through it. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I love that little cheeky like. <laughs> but like, I love the I love that joke with like the the soup so thin you could read a magazine through it. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> like just imagining that. <laughs> That is some thin soup you got there, buddy. <laughs> it's, I don't know, like, yeah, I love the sense of humor and just, like, the the cheekiness, uh, the cheekiness of everything. It's, like, it's really impressive how someone could be going through such difficult stuff, but just kind of having as, maybe not quite blasé, but just as, like, a relaxed sort of attitude about it all. Yeah. Enough to make jokes and he crack a, crack a bit of dry wet here and there. You definitely get the full emotional range from him. Like, there's the humor and the resilience and also the dread and fear. Yeah. I will, yeah. I will say it was weird listening because, like, there are a lot of different track orderings of this album floating around, and first couple I've listened to had uh, The Great Dust Storm 
as the first track. But on the main one, it has Talking Dust Bowl Blues. It beats very differently, having it start on a very humorous note, just having it start on a dramatic, mm. like, grim note, I noticed. Like, it was just... I honestly did prefer having The Great Storm as the first track, because it just sets the mood so well. Yeah. But also, I, 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 I will be honest, it's, it's 1940, the whole art of like sequencing an album isn't as big a concern. Like, no one really focused on albums as an art form beyond like soundtracks. Yeah. At this point, I think. Oh. No, that makes a lot of. Speaking of. Oh, and also fun fact: the reason that Tom Joad is in two parts is because with the recording technology they have, they couldn't record a song longer than three minutes. And he had just written too much of a song, so they had to split it in half. Wow, what a different time. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't have a song longer than three minutes. Crazy. Can't imagine yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very interesting, though. I'm just like, huh. I was wondering why it was in two parts. <laughs> it didn't seem It didn't seem to be very, like, I don't know purposely written that way by any means. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that explanation. You're just you're just answering all of my questions and mysteries without me even having to add. Oh. oh I'm glad I'm glad to help. I am learning a lot. This is a very educated As you experience. Should. <laughs> Teach me yeah. about the Dust Bowl and the great folks here. I also want to say in general, I really enjoy folk music. And this is um this album is a big reason why. Of just like I I love I love how it's about true to life experiences and that sort of sort of very local and oftentimes country, but like that that flair that um that folk music has i really appreciate and i uh, so i had a i personally had a great time listening to <laughs> i was i was a big fan yeah yeah it's definitely a lot of the strengths of folk music you know the like like you know very simple presentation, very straightforward. It's got like strong lyrics and a you know good accessible aesthetic to it. Like it just is a super effective set of lyrics. And I really appreciate that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, the only other song that I really had much on was Vigilante Man at the tail end, which was a dark song about like police brutality and Vigilantes running around harassing people in the 30s, which is much more like personal and human on human violence as opposed to how a lot of this was more man versus nature and like man versus larger financial entity type thing. You know, it's a lot more, you know, railing against a force that you can't really affect, whereas this is much more physical yeah. exertion. It's just this is the part where he seems the most scared, like just 
having to face random person who could like just attack you. Like, yeah, and it's it's wild. I didn't, I wasn't aware of like vigilantism being such like a big problem yeah. in that time and place. Yeah, yeah, me, me neither. Apparently, it was just a thing. Like, like I guess it's because like you know. Oh no! Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I I don't know anything actually about the topic, but my only guess would be you know like with the state of technology, you know you have to people could and would have to take the law into their own hands a lot more. Yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, it seems like very much had the problem of vigilantism of just like could easily get the wrong person slash be used as an excuse to just kill people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just pretty terrifying uh, of its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. Yeah, that one. It was like, mm -hmm. let's talk about, like, is he a vigilante man, too? It's like, what's, what counts as it? What, where's the line for vigilantism? Like, it was, it's very interesting. I, that's definitely something that I would like to do more research into in the future. Yeah. To know what... Get to it, nerd boy. Yes, nerd boy. Do the research, nerd boy. <laughs> you got... I'm a big horkin' nerd. And I'm proud. As you should be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nerd time. No, but like, that's, those are my, my main thoughts on the... the the individual tracks that I had the strongest feelings on. So, yeah. Any any other big thoughts you had on it? That's about it. It's just yeah, a very solid like, like probably the yeah, really great album. Go check it out. I absolutely do check it out. Absolutely worth it. Good stuff, solid stuff. Give it a look, yeah. check it out. Sounds like it's about all the time that we have for today, folks. The albums that we listened to were Speak for Yourself by Imogen Heap and Dust Bowl Ballads by Woody Guthrie. I'm Caleb Clark. I'm Jordan Neep. Thanks for listening to the Billy Shears Club. 